Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. Before we get into the show, just wanted to take a minute to remind you of our awesome sponsors. As always, um, Season 2 is sponsored by ModuceNation.com. Get yourself some awesome t-shirts, clothing, apparel, Uh, check them out. They're always coming out with new designs. I say it all the time, but I, I have to because they're awesome and I love these guys. Um, ben and Lindsay are kicking ass, making great stuff, uh, supporting the community, really doing amazing work. So they, they definitely deserve your support. So please uh, check out ModuceNation.com. And they were generous enough to offer us a coupon code, nothing owed. That'll get you 15% off at their store, ModuceNation.com. Please check them out, support them. Um, and again, when you support Modus Nation, they actually are using their proceeds from their company to support uh, various charities, uh, both veteran and uh, community charities uh, all across the country. So I, I can't speak highly enough of, of what they're doing. And also, um, I wanted to do two honorable mentions uh, because we are coming across some amazing people doing this show. And I really want to make sure that uh, that you guys know we are trying to create a community here. We want everyone to we want everyone to succeed. We, we want everyone to, to be the best they can, and sometimes help. that means helping out people the best we can. So that being said, I wanted to um, remind everyone of Grind Ops Coffee. Um, they're doing amazing work. New company. Uh, the founder of that company, he's, uh, as you heard from the show, if, or if you haven't, he's retiring from law enforcement, uh, but he's been a K-9 handler for uh, much of his career. So Aaron is a good dude. Um, support his company, but he makes awesome coffee. Um, we've been, we've all been drinking it here. Um, I think Ben threw out every, every other coffee he had in his kitchen, uh, to support, uh, grind ops. So please, uh, please check out grind ops coffee. Uh, not only do they have good coffee, uh, they have some awesome stickers and clothing. I really like their designs. So they're doing amazing work. And, uh, last but not least, of course, uh, Winfield watch, um, father's day is coming up. Please, uh, please check out Winfield Watch. They make some amazing products. Uh, I'm a customer myself. Not only is the watch awesome, it comes with some really nice straps. Uh, the case, the, uh, I should say watch roll that it comes in, is awesome. So all in all, just a great experience, great product, uh, great company. And Mark is uh, another amazing dude that's been very generous with his time, helping out the community and uh, trying to help everyone else uh, gain some success. So with that being said, uh, just to recap, ModusNation.com, sponsoring Season 2. Grind Ops Coffee is uh, one of our honorable mentions. And uh, Winfield Watch, uh, especially for Father's Day. Actually, for Father's Day, any of our, gu- any of our guests have awesome products. So uh, please uh, please go through our, our website and uh, get your dad some, some amazing stuff. You could get, get all your shopping done in one place. Um, NothingO.com, check out our show sponsors and our show guests and uh, go support them. All right. With uh, that being said, I'm going to turn it over to myself. All right. Bye, everybody. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nothing Owed podcast. Here with Ben and Brian, like always. Um, As always, we have another amazing guest. Um, Luckily, we have another Marine on, so which elevates his... Oh, my hell. (laughs) (laughs) As as always, so um, I'm on a mission to upset Ben as much as possible by... uh, having way more Marines on the show than uh, any other branch. So I think we're doing good so far. <laughs> I don't know how many times I have to tell you that the Marine Corps is not a branch of service. That's irrelevant. Guys, Moving on. The Marine, 
The Marine oh, Corps. Oh, the Marine on. Corps. We're Department the, of the Navy. <laughs> yeah, you're like the stepchildren. You're like the uh, security guards for the Navy. Yeah. And I've, I've already derailed the show 30 seconds in, so that's totally my fault. <laughs> but uh, getting back on track since I've derailed everything, um, as I said, we have another Marine on the show, <clears throat> Dustin Caressel from Eclipsed Digital Marketing. Um, hey, he has hey. an awesome story. He has, um, he's going to talk about a lot of things, and I think a lot of people in the audience uh, will relate to him in at least one way or another. But uh, awesome dude. We've been chatting for a little bit before we started here. Um, great story. Um, really turned his life around, and I want to let him explain it just so we can do it the, the proper justice. Uh, but uh, before we turn it over to Dustin, let's uh, say hi to Ben real quick, see how he's doing, check in with him, and then uh, then we'll get rolling. So, Ben, hi, Ben. What's new? Nothing new. I, uh, you know, I think the, the audience today, Dustin's story is, uh, you know, is something is the epitome of what we're trying to do um, just on just on so many levels. Uh, we, we've gotten lucky as we've been reaching out to these guests, trying to find people um, that are willing to come on and talk with us. And Dustin just really is is one that, you know, from a personal uh, story to his, you know, business story. Um, and then his ongoing, you know, mission in life just seems to be kind of the epitome of what we're trying to do. So, uh, again, I know we say it all the time, but the but the uh, listeners are in store for a, a good one today. So, yeah, that's for sure. We we've been really fortunate, thanks to, or really thanks to you and and Lindsay. You guys have been finding some awesome guests for the show. So, definitely give you guys all all the credit. So, um, yeah, and we'll let him slide that he's a marine, right? Right. <laughs> Some, somebody somebody's feed's getting a little shaky i might have to just uh cut that <laughs> just so you know dustin before uh i'm an army vet which you know and then brian is a marine and it really does seem like 90 percent of our veteran guests are we've had like one air force vet who is amazing yeah. uh you know we've had like one or two army guys which one was me uh <laughs> and then we've had like 342 marines i don't know how right. it keeps happening right. uh but it is what it is. <laughs> I think. Well, there's there's some good army guys out there too. I, I know a few. So, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> no, we we love all the. Obviously, anyone that serves is is okay on our book. It's just a little friendly uh, hazing, of course. But uh, yeah, before we get uh, too off track, let's. Uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Dustin so he can introduce himself. Um, just uh, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us where you came from. How you got started. Um, you know, what, uh, maybe what made you decide to enlist in the military and then, uh, we'll get into it. And you have a great story. Yeah. Um, so I come from, uh, I was born in Northwest Ohio growing up. I split time, uh, growing up in, um, Ohio and central Arizona. Uh, I kind of really fell in love with, uh, the Birdie Valley area where I live now. Um, when I was a child, like, you know, we, we, cruise down on the river on our bikes and go swimming, you know, when mom told us we weren't supposed to and all that fun stuff. And, you know, just kind of a, a little bit of rebellious youth. I come from kind of a, a little bit of an interesting home because my background uh, is, um, well, it's interesting. I come from like an abusive background from uh, childhood and growing up, uh, it was a struggle. Now, as I've kind of developed into who I am today, like I, I have a great relationship with both my mom and my dad. They're both amazing people. Um, ended up getting divorced when I was like 14 years old. And um, it was a good thing at that time for that to happen. 
Um, but you know, it was always kind of hard. I grew up kind of angry and shortly after like getting into high school and stuff like that, I didn't know like the direction I was going to head. I didn't have anything saved up for college. Like that wasn't going to be a thing. Um, and my cousin had gone to the Marine Corps just a few years earlier. And, you know, that sounded like a good idea. Now my favorite movies growing up were like Rainbow and Top Gun. I wore the, I watched those so much, like there was no tape left, you know? And I really wanted to be a pilot. Wait, wait, you're confusing the listeners. You just said there was no tape left. Well, you know, who knows what tape right, is. Right, right. What's yeah. a VCR? Yeah, I yeah. know for sure. Once upon a time, there's just, yeah. but yeah. So I watched those movies so many times, they, they pretty much just broke. Um, and like the thing I wanted to be more than anything was a F-14 pilot. I wanted to be Tom Cruise. I want to be Maverick, you know, like, that's oh, dude, I'm so with you. Yeah. And then you get an eye exam and they're like, nope, that's not going to happen. So, you know, the next best thing was for me, well, I want to be the best of the best. And my cousin was already in the Marine Corps. So he was talking it up. The only recruiter we had in our town was the Marine recruiter. So I ended up doing that. Um, the best and I, right? I, in my junior year too, I was like, I'm ready to do this and yada, yada. And, you know, it sounded like a great idea and all that stuff. I mean, the, the initial allure is always the dress blues. Like, that's why we do it. It's like, can't argue with that. Man, you just want to look the sharpest. And then, you know, they add, oh, we're the best of the best. And only, eh. well, okay, I'm up for a challenge. You know, I'm, I'm 18. I'm, I'm, I'm full of piss and vinegar. I'm ready to go figure out what's going on. Um, so, you know, two weeks after I graduated, I found myself a boot camp, Paris Island, South Carolina. Um, what a culture shock that was just immediately, just the way that they hop on the bus, you hit those yellow footprints and, you know, processing and you're up for three days and they're shaving your head and issuing new clothes. And you just don't know what's going on just like constantly in a sweat, you know, and, uh, I thought I was going to die. I thought I was <laughs> not going to make that. I thought that was, that was an impossibility, but you know, we got into it. And as you, as you do the different phases, you grow up. What I love about boot camp is the mental toughness that you gain. Like I didn't know how strong I was or how much I could put my body through until boot camp. And I was just like, man, when I'm ready to quit, my body has more, there's always a little bit more. I can always find more in the reserve. And that's, that served me, you know, through time. And I mean, for the good and the bad, because, you know, I've, I became a little hard headed because, you know, if your instructor tells you to run through a brick wall, well, you're going to do it until you get through that wall. And, um, you know, later on in life that that's like, well, I'm going to keep doing this and it's going to work out for me. But, you know, like that doesn't that's not the reality of the situation. But, you know, when you get hard headed and stubborn like that, like, uh, you know, it's easy to fixate on things. But so going through boot camp, you know, like everything's going good. We hit the crucible. And that was like, I think day one was September 10th, 2001. Yeah. And everyone knows what happens on September 11th, 2001. So I thought I joined the, the peacetime uh, Marine Corps, but what happened is we were doing some, some crucible. We were on our exercises. I mean, we're, we were like a day in and like that next morning it was raining and they sat us down and they're like, Hey, you know, planes just ran in the Pentagon and there was another plane that hit the world trade center. And, you know, we're like, what? Because my cousin was writing me earlier telling me, Hey, these guys are going to mess with you. They're going to create this big elaborate story about, Oh, there's a war going on in some fictional country or maybe a real country just to try and amp you up and keep you pumped for the crucible. And well, we thought they made that up. So like for the remainder of the crucible um, up until like we graduated, well, right before graduation, they canceled our, our friends and family day. That's when we knew it was like really real. It was like, oh shit, like something is going on. And then they let everyone on on base. And then we hit the airport, you know, and like I hit the airport and there's just pictures everywhere, you know, because I never saw it live. I think the majority of the world saw it live, but we didn't because in, you know, Marine Corps boot camp, there's definitely no outside um, thing. Cell phones didn't exist then. I guess I'm dating. Yeah, and you're, 
you're not you're not watching TV every night. Right. No, no, there's no, no newspapers, there's no radio, there's nothing. That's interesting. You know, when 9-11 hit, I was at Fort Hood, Texas. Um, and similar thing, we were out at a brigade gunnery and uh I was on the firing line and I hear uh over the radio, ceasefire, ceasefire. Uh all truck commanders call the tower. And so, you know, I get on the phone and they made us go to a secure net, which was weird, you yeah. know, at a you know, at a section level gunnery. And I'm like, so I get on the net and I'm like, you know, Hey, what's up? And they're like, Hey, lock and load all or uh, lock and clear all your weapons, count all your ammo and take all your, your cell phones away from your guys. And uh, you know, we didn't have, we, we didn't have the the iPhones and stuff at the time, but guys had phones, right. Build clamshells and the old, yeah. Yeah. With the old snake game on it. Right. Right. um so i'm like what the you know and so we everybody's truck was out there so we had to take our humvees go to the base of the tower have a big formation and the first word we got was the commander comes down and he says uh united states has been bombed and uh the pentagon's no longer there they've new york's gone like you know and we're all like what you know and they said and so we were the only i was in fourth infantry division which is like rapid deployment and we were already out with our gear. Um, you know, I was in the cavalry, so we're we go first anyway. Right. Uh they're like, hey, we're heading to the Fort Hood for people that don't know, is like 800 million square miles in the middle of Texas. <laughs> yeah. And uh they have an airfield out there. So we drove all our stuff out to and packed it for airplanes, and we mm-hmm. sat there for three days. And uh, you know, until they, you know, I think the 82nd ended up going first, but right. and then they sent us back to post, and that's the first time I saw, uh, you know, the TV footage and stuff. Yeah. It was like two or three days later. I, I don't remember the exact time, but it was a couple of days later when we got to post. You know, and, and you know, none of our family members knew where we were at. Nobody knew, you know, because yeah. we were just waiting. Okay, if C5 pulls up, we put our crap in the back. We're going, mm-hmm. uh, and we didn't get the call, but but. Um, it's interesting that I've never even thought about that angle about the guys in basic training at the time. Like you said, I went in in a peacetime army or, or Marine Corps or, you know, the air force has TVs in basic, I think, but, uh, <laughs> they have everything in basic, but for the soldiers and the Marines, uh, you know, yeah. Well, what a weird feeling. I've never even thought about that, oh. that like, what the heck just happened? You know, well, if, if, it's you're almost, really, if you're really going to blow your mind, think about this. Most of the new recruits, we're born after 9-11 now. Right. If not all of them, isn't that? Yeah. That's trippy. I mean, think about that. Like you like you have guys that are still serving over there, but all the new all the new people enlisting in the in the military for the most part, they're 18, 19. Yeah, my son, my son's in the uh at, at Fort Bragg. He's in the 82nd Airborne. He's a little older. He went in a couple years after, but um after 18, I he's he's 25 now. But he was, he lived with me at Fort hood and he was, you know, four or five at the yeah, time. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it is. It's weird. There's guys that have had, I read an article the other day that they said that there's, um, yeah, that there's been dads that deployed and fought in the GWAT. And then after nine 11 had a son or daughter who have now enlisted and fought in the GWAT. Like it's yeah. a war the first time ever it's it's crazy yeah so my little brother enlisted in the marines after me like uh man like a decade he went in old but he ended up deploying to iraq too so 
you know, I was a little disgruntled about that too. I'm like, man, we went and fought this war and like my brother's over there now. I have a friend who is a RP religious personnel for the Navy attached to a chaplain and he's a great guy, but he had a son too. And he deployed with us when we went to Iraq in 03, which the next step of my story is hitting Iraq. Um, and then his son ended up going too, like his son's serving right now in the Marine Corps and stuff like that. And that's just, that's such a trip, you know, for, for these people to deploy where we deployed, you know, that's something that's never happened before. You know, that's America hasn't been in a war this long and the way that the war is structured, there's no end in sight. There's no, it's no official army. There's, there's no official country we're at war with. We're at war with a concept, which is terrorists against Americans who are perceived as, you know, the enemy. And that can be at this point, you know, which is kind of scary to think about Um, because then you think about, well, infiltration and what does that mean for things that need to happen on American soil? Is it okay for drone strikes to happen here now? You know, like that's kind of a bigger thing, like going, going down spiraling out of down the road. But like, you know, every war before us is always, it started and it's ended, you know, and Vietnam was the longest. And then all of a sudden we surpassed that. So, you know, now we're in this, this GWAT and, and what's the end in sight, you know, like, yeah, they need to come up with, and I, you know, trust me, I'm not the guy. I, I have no right. answer, but the, but they're. I'm not being. I am being critical, but I'm not in a way where I'm like, well, here's what you should do. But you know, there has to be an end. Okay, so what? We either succeed or fail, right? And we have to have that defined. I think at some point. But how how long after basic training before you? So did you go to a unit or did you go? Yeah, I, went to, I did recruiter's assistance. You know, I hooked up a few of my friends, got them on there, got promoted. You know, they ended Suckered up. Suckered them in. There. Yeah. The, two of them went to Oki and got a wife and came home, which is classic. That's a classic Marine Corps move. But um, after recruiter's assistance, I went to MOS school. Um, by trade, I'm an 0431, which is an embarkation specialist, which is a unique person to uh, Marine Corps units. I got attached to 1st Marine Division out in Camp Pendleton in 2002. Um, and I signed up to go with combat engineers because um, I, you know, I had a unique job. So it was like, hey, we're going to assign you to these guys and that's what you're going to go do. And so I ended up being uh, tasked with the combat engineer battalion. And um, man, I loved it. That was my home for four years. That's that's who I served with. And, you know, I got to cross train and do a lot of cool things, uh, blow things up which is why everyone joins, you know, like I've split a Humvee in half with data sheet and flex linear right down, you know, engine block freaking 500 feet in the air and <laughs> done some really cool stuff. And, um, I guess, so we got attached to them. And then, uh, 2003, that's when we went and, and went, uh, to Iraq, I got called home off of leave. I was on holiday leave that December. Um, and you know, just got the call, got to get home. No questions. So you asked. you had a, you had a couple of years set to, to get your, get your feet. Yeah. I had about a year with the battalion. Yeah. yeah learn. And yeah, so I got in some cherry kid out there. Totally. Yeah. Um, so I, I got, you know, cause I got promoted and then the guy above me, he took off. So I ended up filling the staff and seal billet as an E3 as a Lance Corporal. Wow. Um, and you know, I had some, some good relationships. I, you know, had my own little Marine Corps mafia, which is, you know, we're famous for that. Like, you know, hookups left and right. And yeah, I'll give you this room, <laughs> give you these MREs and you know, all of that stuff. So like I was in good with all the companies and all the the people that I needed to be. Um, and then, yeah, we, we took off and, you know, I landed over there like late January, early February, I think, and uh, got to do fly a C5, which is great for me. Cause as an embarker, like the things that I do, I'm like a Navy loadmaster. I'm an air force. Uh, what do they call that? The, I think it's a loadmaster in the air force too. Yeah. 
And it is. That, that so packs was, the back of the plane. Yeah, yeah. I laid yeah. out the fire. I certified the plane to fly, you know, and then got to hop in and fly over. We did a little combat drop into um, Iraq where they depressurize. They just do a nosedive, and the C-5 hits the ground, opens the nose, drops the tail. We're off in like 10 minutes, and it's gone, you know, like just for uh, surface to air and all that stuff. And for the listeners who don't know what a C-5 is, uh, <laughs> it's a very big, big, big airplane. So when he's yeah. talking about, you know, depressurizing the cabin and just going straight down and everybody out, everybody out, it's not like a helicopter where there's, you know, 12 dudes and some rucksacks. Yeah. It is, it is, it's like, I mean, well, I don't know, even know what the, it's bigger than the 747, right? It is, yeah. The C-5 is the second biggest plane in the world. Russia has the other one with their... That, that real big one that looks yeah. like it's going to crash. Yeah. The, yeah. the C-5 can hold two M1 Abram tanks back to back. Yeah, yeah. On each end, and they'll they'll go in butt to butt, and then they'll drive off each end when they, they do the drop. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if that is, that's a huge plane. So it's big it's, plane. So when yeah. you're, yeah. And it's generally uh, for those that have never fl- flown on a military personnel uh, plane, they, we call them parachute seats. I don't know if that's what you call yeah. them in the, in the Marines, but they are not comfortable. And not comfortable. You know, there's no windows. There's no, there's no, yeah. no one's bringing you a Coke, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're just holding on for dear life. Sweating. If it's cold, you're freezing and that's it. Enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dude, I got a funny story about uh, you said you were with the like a sap what in the army we would call sapper battalion. Yeah, yeah. No, we had sapper. Our sappers attached to usually like special operations units. So yeah. there was line companies where the normal engineers and then the sappers would attach to. Yeah. So we uh, so as a scout in the army, the cavalry scouts usually um, that des- that specific MOS was a lot of fun because we actually got to train in a lot of the different. Um, you know, because general mission for a scout, you're out in front of the, the whatever unit that you're assigned to, whether it's brigade, division, battalion, whatever, right? You're out in front. You had to you kind of had to be a, a jack of all trades. So we got to do I was lucky enough to go to a lot of different kind of not the MOS school, but like the miniature touch up school for a lot of different MOSs. Right. So, we, yeah. you know, um, but we got to do a lot of uh, I was stationed in Hawaii and I got to be like the demo sergeant assign you know like i was the junior demo sergeant right so when we went out and we had to do the demo range on the big island uh the guy that was the senior demo sergeant we, you know we set up the range for the unit so everybody came in and shifts uh you had to throw a grenade you had to do like a daisy chain with some c4 and stuff right and blow some stuff up and then you're qualified right to supposedly to go blow bridges up all around the world right so uh but one time we were at the Big Island, and so if you've never been to Hawaii, the Big Island has a, a training center in the middle of the island, and it's mm-hmm. called we call it a PTA. It was Pohakaloa Training Area, and um, that's where you go with all your big guns in Hawaii. The Marines went there. Everybody yeah. from Hawaii went there, and and you shoot all your guns, you qualify, right? It's basically a big lava field. Um, but the guys that run where you go, so for the listeners, if you haven't been in the military, you, you go to this area, you set up in some barracks and then you just go to these different ranges and they have like an armory where you go sign out all your stuff and you sign out ammo and demo. And the guys that run it are just these old retired Hawaiian dudes. Like, so imagine these guys like in cut off BDUs and a brown t-shirt and flip flops. Right. And you know, they're eating, 
you know, they're eating pokey every day. But yeah. <laughs> the senior the senior sergeant gets to know these guys. He's talking to them and they go, you know, they go, Hey brother, we got a, uh, we got these crates of grenades that are like, we got to get rid of them. You know, do you guys want to blow them up on your range? And I won't say his name, but the, the sergeant that was like, hell yeah, we'll go do that. Let's take it out. So these guys run out and they go, yeah, let's blow this stuff up. So we, everybody had to do like a daisy chain, a C4 little thing. And uh, these guys go out and they, they have these 55 gallon drums of expired diesel fuel. And they set these grenades cases up <laughs> on top and everybody in the unit that had to set up a little ring around the, for the cutting charge around the thing, uh, the 55 gallon drum, you're supposed to cut it in half. Right. But they put out 55 gallon drums with diesel fuel in it. And they're like, you know, Hey brother, this will be a great explosion. And so <laughs> everybody's in the parking lot and you go, you go hook it up and then you go down into your, like a little bunker almost. It's like in the movies where they watch the uh, A-bomb test, right? And it's got the glass and, you know, you go, okay, fire in the hole on pit one, fire in the hole on pit two, and then you set off your charge. Dude, this thing looked like the A-bomb. It, <laughs> it was like, ba-boom, material and debris of lava rock was hitting all the Humvees in the parking lot like a quarter mile away and this huge cloud just of dust and debris just goes up like a a bomb cloud <laughs> and me and right <laughs> yeah me and this other sergeant are like in charge of the range mm-hmm. and we're like dude they can see this on the mainland like right people think we're in uh, under attack like this is we're in trouble right. and so these old hawaiian dudes are like Hey, uh, we're going to take off. Okay. And up in their truck and they like, leave us there. Our commander comes. He's just like, what? You know, he had to dive under his Humvee, like, cause rocks were hitting it. And you know, they're like, what the hell happened? And you know, we had to do this like after action report. It was so yeah. much. And everybody knew what happened, but nobody wanted to talk about it. It was so funny, man. But with, you know, tax, that's your tax dollars at work. That's hard at work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so it was a blast, but it was, I, I promise you that they could have seen that cloud from, from Oahu to the right. big island. Like, <laughs> Hey, what's happening? You know, yeah. is, is you this... Pearl Harbor again? Like, yeah. 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 What's going on over on that Island today? Yeah. Anyway. Sorry. Sorry. So you're no, at a good story. I mean, those down, are the best stories. Yeah. You're down in Oceanside. You head to Iraq mm-hmm. and then pick it up. I interrupted. Yeah, well, I actually got luck, lucky. I was in San Clemente. So that's far north. That's the first town inside of Orange County. So, you know, we're up there with Fifth Marines having fun. But I got called home off of leave. And, you know, uh, like a month later after sending everyone, um, I followed up. And um, we get there. And, you know, Big Marine Corps is like, hey, we're going to bring both combat engineering battalions, which usually doesn't happen, right? There's one for the East Coast, West Coast. And then there's third out in Japan. And, so they brought first and second CEBs, total overkill. You know, we don't need that many engineers, but they brought the whole lot. I mean, it was a party. Camp Matilda was packed. It was disgusting, but it was packed. You know, what was it, like 250,000, 500,000 Marines living in Matilda? I don't remember exactly what it was. But <laughs> anyway, like, so what happened was we got outranked. My shop got outranked. So the second CB guys were higher ranked. So they're like, oh, you're going to join this truck and you're going to hang out with this D9 dozer. You're going to pull security and you're going to be on 240 golf. And, you know, since we were like headquarters in service, like we had two 240s, a saw, I think two M16s and an AT4, all in the back of a soft Humvee. It was like <laughs> overkill. It was absolutely insane. 
Um, but you know, it's just kind of how, how we did. And shortly thereafter, you know, things got real serious, um, when we were like dug in and then those scuds started coming in and, you know, they're blowing the NBC siren and, you know, we're freaking out trying to dawn and clear the masks and, you know, make sure that we've got the gloves and, you know, we're in uh, woodland green snowsuits for NBC stuff. And it's like, it's absolutely insane. You know, just kind of how everything went down that, that during that, the invasion. And, um, you know, a few days later, not even a few days later, it's like the next day we breached and then, you know, we, we get into it and we're in these burning oil fields and then we start hitting towns like Nazaria and Fallujah and stuff like that. You know, at this time we're like bypassing, we're just trying to get to Baghdad. That was the main mission. And so it was like, you know, drive-bys and waving by to freaking kids and, and stuff. And it got intense there pretty quick, but um, that boot camp training that kicks in pretty quick. Um, I think it was like day three is when I noticed there was some kind of flip and it's just like, you just get to work, you know, and it's just like, we'd be up for like three days, pulling security, doing this and that, and, you know, tasks on mission here. And this guy needs an escort over there. And, you know, the gunny I had, he was pretty hardcore and is like, man, if there was a Cobra getting in a fight, like we'd go drive underneath it just to see what we could find, you know? Um, so it was constantly like getting thrown into to little things like that. And then um, we hit a nuclear facility. There was one, I don't know if you guys, I'd heard that there was a news, obviously I was in country and all we had was like the BBC, but like, anyway, I ended up camping for like a week in this field of yellow depleted uranium, you oh, know, God. our army NBC team comes in and they're kitted out. I mean, they're in like the big spacesuits. They're like, yeah, you guys need to get the hell out of here. And we're like, why, what's going on? You know? And it's like, we'd lost those little rad watches they gave that's supposed to measure radiation and stuff. And like, you know, we're snap smashing MREs, like sitting in this yellow cake uranium, like, no, we don't know any different stuff. And so uh, how, how is that third boob you have? <laughs> I know. Right. Like I'm super, like I, I made sure before I got out that that was in my jacket. Like I need that. I need that documented. Like if I got to talk to someone at the VA, like why I'm growing extra fingers, like this is where it started. Um, Did any, has anyone had any side effects from that? I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. To be honest. I mean, with the burn pit stuff, with the nuclear stuff, with, um, this, so many things that kind of happen over there. I mean, I haven't heard of anything specific, but you know, as things do, I've lost uh, contact with a lot of the guys in my truck and, yeah. um, some are still around. Uh, you know, I've, I think I, I connected with a gunny, uh, the gunny that was in there, uh, just recently too. And he's still gung ho. He retired, but you know, everyone just kind of dissipates and, um, there are some close friends that I'm still in contact. You know, one of the blessings of social media is staying in contact with uh, a lot of cool cats that I got to serve with. Right. Um, you know, and uh, that was good. That was good. I, uh, almost that reminds me. This is off topic a little bit, but that, that reminds me of that base. I was at K2 in uh, Kazakhstan or something where they there was that black sludge that the Air Force was just like, yeah, we'll just bulldoze it over. We'll be fine. Right. Yeah. For the for the people out there that don't know, like it, some of the stuff that that our guys get, get put in some of the situations. I mean, the combat's bad enough, but to get put in a toxic waste dump, like, yeah, hey, just fucking put your rack out here. You'll be fine. You know, it's, right? it's nuts. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can't argue about it. And no. Nobody knows. It's not a lack of, um, well, it is a lack of maybe intelligence, I guess, you know, um, from a, like a, not, not intelligence at the personal in your head level, but just like, nobody knows. And they just, that's where you got to be. And that's where you dig a foxhole and that's where you sleep that night. Yeah. And that's where you pull security. And yeah, next day you get up and yeah, it, it doesn't. Yeah. 
It was, it was like us in another truck and they're, they're like, Hey, set up positions around. You're going to hold this till someone comes in and clears it or whatever. And yeah, it was yeah. Weird. we found like some weird, like star Wars looking helmets and all this weird stuff. Cause the Iraqis, I don't know. I guess they had some sort of fetish with star Wars and like, it looked like when the pilot helmets for like the rebel X-wing fighters, you know, like oh yeah, these all laying around and, you know, ceremonial swords and all this stuff. We're like, I don't know. I don't even know where we were at, but it was like, yeah, I was just like, you guys, you guys just hang out here. And so, you know, that was about the time when I ran out of cigarettes too, which <laughs> I was a big smoker then. Um, and uh, like I, I deployed with like 20 cartons and like now I had to hustle. So I had to get the, the local kids who were like playing soccer outside the fence and be like, hey, I'll give you like, you know, this uh, pound cake or this dollar for like five cartons of cigarettes to smoke those Haji cigarettes that would just fall apart in your mouth. But, you know, you need nicotine to keep going in, in, a, in a war zone. But um, so, yeah, like we, we, we just did whatever they, they told us to do, you know, and that's really what it came down to. And you know, we were zipping all over the country. We were here, we were with RCT one and five and, you know, you need to go over here and then this guy needs to ride over there. And um, I don't know, we just did it. And, it and it just became such a blur. And um, you know, there wasn't a lot of sleep. We didn't sleep indoors. There's no AC, there's no Wi-Fi. There was no call home. You know, it was, you slept with your guys in the truck underneath the Humvee or next to it, or you just got a little scud trench going with your e-tool just rolled up in that. And, uh, you know, didn't shower forever. You know, it was like a couple of months before we like caught up to the CBs. They had like these busted pipes so we could like actually like clean ourselves. And, uh, man, it was an experience. Definitely an experience. Uh, how long were you deployed? Um, I don't, it was like February to like June, like when they pulled the Marines out, you know, like, cause we got called back and had to load up. We loaded up our battalion on the Bonham Richard and they sailed home. Um, I actually left early on a Red Cross message. After I got that ship loaded, uh, I flew from Kuwait to Detroit, which may be part of my problem. Um, but after like, we did Baghdad and all that stuff, we Kuwait. pulled out. What was that? Sorry. I said that's basically the same thing, right? Detroit and Kuwait. <laughs> yeah, zone, yeah. <laughs> like, down, down Baghdad, down, down to Detroit. There's no yeah. difference. You got off the plane and were like, wait, where am I? I'm <laughs> yeah, not wait, supposed to be here. Oh, oh, this is Michigan. All right. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So we took Baghdad and, you know, there's a lot of shit that happened. There's a lot of things that you saw um, again. Like, you know, I left after we got everyone packed up and sent them home. I flew home because um, my mom was having uh, a brain surgery to alleviate pressure on her spine and all this stuff. And so I went home to, to be there. And I think that's when I did start to notice some things. Right. Because I'm going from this. It's combat zone to Detroit. Now I've heard that they have de decompression periods. I don't know. I've never experienced that where they have to go home or be on base for a couple of weeks before they go on leave or whatever. And um, that wasn't my case. Uh, I, I, I went home. My family surprised me at the airport. Well, they didn't surprise me. I knew they're coming. Obviously I'm coming home from war. Um, you know, but my girlfriend who was in Arizona at the time flew in and like my grandparents were there and all that stuff. And it was great. It was amazing. And um, I think the, the, the time that I really started to notice that something was off was that next day when we're driving around and I'm still scanning windows and doors and, you know, I'm looking and I don't like when people stand behind me and, you know, we go out to a bar and I just didn't feel comfortable. Like I just, I didn't fit in. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't feel okay. You know, I just wanted to get really, really drunk. And that's, that's what I did that first night. And like, it was just, it was Wasiana, Ohio. 
very nice, clean community. The bar was packed. I think there was a whopping 40 people in there and I'm freaking out inside. You know, I just didn't feel okay. And, um, you know, I think that's when for me, I started to notice a little bit of a change, not only that, but my attitude had kind of shifted too. I was very angry, easily excitable, easily, easy for me to get into anger, easy for me to like, just, you know, pop off and all of that stuff. Um, and that's how it was. I was home, I think for like two weeks, I went back to Pendleton. Um, I ended up finishing my time. I didn't have to deploy again. Um, I had like 2004 and then 2005 that I finished there. Um, again with first combat engineer battalion, love them. Always be a Marine till I die. We have egos that are way too big and think we're like the coolest thing ever, but you know, somehow they instill that in you, especially in boot camp. Um, but you know, when I was back there, I did notice that, that things had shifted not only for me, but for the, for the guys around me too. The only time I felt comfortable is when I was with my friends too. Like when we would go out or do something or, or hang out, like, you know, when, when I was with those guys, that's when I felt the best. And, uh, as like life started to progress after that too, you know, like I started to get into a little bit of that, those early signs of PTSD that you don't know exist, I suppose. You just feel like, you just feel like a certain type of way. And for me, that was just like, well, this is how I feel. And this is how I need to feel. And um, one of the best ways I heard things you explained. Noticed any of that before? Like you hadn't, like before you deployed, you hadn't, like, well, that was a totally new feeling for you? Yeah, no, no, it was. Cause it's just like, I don't know how to explain it. Like you're on edge yeah. and waiting. You're hypervigilant is one of the, you know, symptoms that they tell you about. It's like, man, I can't. I can't sit with like my back. It has to be against the wall. Like no one can stand behind me. Like you can't fucking stand. Like if I'm drinking at a bar, someone stand behind me. I just turn around and look at them, you know, until they leave or whatever, because like, it's just, there's just a feeling like I'm always looking over my shoulder or whatever. Right. Maybe I got a tip. No, but um, it's, it's, it's always being aware of some presence that really doesn't exist for me. Um, you know, I, now that I've, I've gotten to where I'm at today, I've noticed one of the best ways that it was ever explained to me is when you went to combat and, and things started to go the way that they went, your, your body, your soul had to leave, had to take off. And that's what I felt like happened because it was like that fear center, all that stuff just kind of shut off. And it was, whether it was bravado or courage or, you know, just that the Marine bravado or whatever, you know, that we say, like it was, it was about the job. It was about the mission. It was about the guy next to me. And that's what, what it did. It was like, shit's popping off, but you're not afraid. You just run into it. You just naturally react. You just instinctually things happen, you know? And that's why, like, I don't know. I think it happens for a lot of vets. That's why we hear stories of, of guys who jump on grenades or, you know, like bum rush machine gun nests. And, you know, these, these heroic stories, I think it just, something happens where it just shuts off, you know? Yeah. I, I agree with that, that point of view. I think there is a level of, you know, whatever branch of service you're in, there's a level of, um, and I know, and it's hard to put a word on it. Like you said, it's hard to describe it where it's, you know, that, that is why when you're in the military, you do things 800 times and then you do it again. Right. Cause it's just drill. That's why they call it drilling, right? You drill it into your, your system and, and it's, it's like a second nature almost. Maybe that's, that's the way to describe it where, you know, you, you kind of do have to just check out of, you gotta, you gotta put your, whatever's going on at home. You got to put that in the back of your mind, 
put it in the little box, close the box, and then just focus on the guys around you or the ladies around you and, you know, just complete the mission. And I honestly think I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to circle this in. I'm going to connect these dots. Right. But I think that um, I have a real problem sometimes with the way civilians um, look at business and do some other things. But I think some of the greatest entrepreneurs are, are military guys, right. And military women. And I think part of that is, is because of that exact thing you're talking about where we can take everything that's going on around us and put it in the box, shut it off. And we got the mission. I want to start my new marketing company and help small businesses. Well, that's your mission, right? And, and you can put all that other stuff over here, right? In these boxes and go mission, mission, mission. But, I, but I'm going to have fun while I'm doing it. Right. I'm going to work with people I like because that's what happens. Uh, you know, I think it's a very unique personality path um, that veterans take as as civilians. Um, but due to that, that exact yeah. thing. So, yeah, I agree, I agree with that. It's it's a whole it's a whole state of being. And, you know, you're 100 percent correct, because the reason I started my business was to help people. Right. Because that initially is why I joined the military was to serve my country, to help people, to help the citizens, you know? And so for me, it kind of came back full circle later on in life where it's like, well, I'm gonna start a business. My focus isn't money. It's not being successful. It's not having my name out there. I actually prefer when my name's not out there. It's helping people because people, especially entrepreneurs, business, small business, they don't understand the A to B, you know, like I have an ability to connect that for them here. Let me get a website. This is what your branding needs to do. This is what your voice needs to sound like. This is these are the the colors you need to use because all of this stuff comes together and, it, and it, it's a way for me to give back. And I think in in an altruistic sense of the word, giving back is the only reason that I have success today. That's that's it. But it took like after I left um, the Marine Corps, I went to Ohio State. I came and I and I, I did guys. Yeah, Buckeyes, go books. Um, I, I freaking, I did landscaping in Arizona for like three months, just partying, you know, I had to get out of my system because you think we miss so many things when we're in the military and it's like, Oh, I got to play catch up. You know, that was kind of like, that was kind of thematic for me too, for my life is like, I felt like I missed out by joining the military and going to war and putting my life on pause. Like when I, when I got out and when I, when I went to Ohio state, like I wanted to play catch up all the stories that I heard my friends had done, you know, like, you know, doing keg stands and, um, you know, falling off whatever and jumping into this and, you know, wet t-shirt contest over here. It's like me, I want to do all of it now because I felt like I'd missed out. You know, I felt like there was something wrong with me because I wasn't a part of that. But in the greater sense of things is like, I got in there and I had trouble connecting with people younger than me. I had trouble connecting with people in general because I was so upset at their apathetic views on everything going on in the world you know because this is like 2005 2006 2007 like there's still a war going on i have friends that are still out there doing the damn thing friends that are putting their life on the line and you want to talk about you know the jersey shore which was the most annoying show ever but it was like popular and it's just like that has no bearing on what's going on in the world and you know so i got very just disgruntled i got angry one of the best ways for me to to get on someone's level was to get wasted as drunk as i could get Cause I would get to that level where, I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm okay being around people. More importantly, I'm okay with me being me around people. 
that I had enough like liquid courage in there that I, that's when I could make friends. That's when I could socialize. That's when I could meet girls. That's when I could be me, you know, because the, I was trying to hide that, that wounded side of me or there's something wrong or I thought there was something wrong. Um, and, it, and it started to begin this, this selfish cycle where it's like, I had to drink to be okay around people. I had to drink to, to be in front of people. I had to drink to hang out with people. And, you know, after doing that for a year in Ohio, I ended up transferring to ASU because I loved Ohio State. Again, Buckeye till I die, but fuck living there. It's flat. It's great. It's cold. It's miserable. <laughs> it's just, it's not happy. You know, after living in California for four years, it's like, man, what am I doing here? So I ended up transferring out to Arizona State and uh, I got a job at a local sushi bar American girl thing um so I, I worked full-time and I went to school full-time this was before post 9-11 too which post 9-11 was a miracle but so I, I I did a year at ASU and then ended up having to quit because I couldn't afford to pay for it so what happened is I set up a payment plan and um I just worked I ended up working my way up through this company uh I ended up becoming a sushi chef uh, a server bartender and a corporate trainer so I ended up flying around the U.S. and opening restaurants and you know, having a blast on the road. Um, but what chain, what chain was that? I'm just interested. Uh, it's called Kona grill. Oh yeah. yeah. We got Kona grill here in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah totally. Yep. You yeah. sure do. Um, so yeah, I went around and o- opened up some, uh, some of those restaurants and it was nice because where I was in my life was man. So I got my first DUI in Ohio, like two days after I got home. Um, I, I had this brand new truck that I bought off deployment, you know, a Ford Ranger edge editions, just beautiful bottle, 12 miles, brand new. I ended up getting wasted one night and driving home. That's how you get a DUI. But, uh, what happened was the road turned and, and I didn't, and a gas station jumped out in front of me and I ran into those, those poles right in front of the pump. Right. Oh no. Those stupid gas stations yeah. not getting out of the way. What were they thinking? Exactly. So I took that all the way to the windshield, uh, ended up having to get my face sewn together and all this stuff and like busted up, whatever. Um, but that was my first, that was my first DUI and you know, Ohio, they were nice about it. They just gave me a little slap on the wrist. But, um, when I, when I moved to Arizona, I didn't have transportation. So I rode the bus, I rode the bus for two hours, one way to work. And then at night I'd usually take whatever money I made, go drink and then take a taxi cab home. Um, cause one, I wanted to go have fun, but why, why would I save money to buy a car or get my license back or do any of that? Like, didn't make sense to me. So for like four years, I'd say a solid four years, I walked um, until a friend eventually ended up giving me a car. Um, and that I got my second DUI in because, you know, we don't learn. Um, that one was more fun because I actually ended up in Tent City, which, you know, that's infamous, right? Pink underwear and all that. Maricopa stuff. County? Yeah, Maricopa, Maricopa County. Um, right. Joe. I ended up doing the Tent City thing and it was like two weeks with work release and all that stuff. And uh, that was a, that was an interesting experience, but I had an interlock for a year in my car because, you know, the way that I am like a self-centered son of a bitch, like I'm always right. So when the cop was like, Oh, Hey, blowing this breathalyzer. I'm like, no, draw my blood because I'm going to wait it out and you're going to draw my blood. And there's not going to be an alcohol in there. And yeah, it doesn't work like that. It takes, it takes a little while for your, your blood alcohol to, to kind of mellow out. But by refusing, you get an interlock magically for a year for free. Uh, they hook you up. So I, I had an interlock and I, and I got good after a while, you know, like, you know, my, my car ran on sobriety. I had to blow in it and hum and, you know, tickle it in the bottom and all that stuff to get it going and, and running around. And you had to ask the guy walking by, Hey, breathe on this real yeah, quick. Totally. totally. I, I, I may have done that once or twice too. Um, but 
so so during all this time, what's really happening in the background is like I'm I'm becoming an alcoholic, right? And uh, the I don't like myself. I don't like who I am. I'm falling into depression. I'm falling into anxiety. I'm I'm just running on fear, right? Fear of not being good enough. Fear of being broke. Fearing of not being successful. Fear of living. Fear of dying. You know, like just afraid of of everything in my life and around my life. And um, I ended up getting back into school. Uh, went to ASU. I, I got two degrees. One in bat, uh, one bachelor's of science in uh, political science, and then a bachelor of arts in history. Um, cause I wanted to be a lawyer. That was, that was my overall game plan and, uh, didn't see that through, but somehow I put it together where I go party ASU style work and get my degrees. How I manage that. I couldn't tell you. I don't even think I could repeat it. Um, because you know, like where I worked in Scottsdale, it was party, it was party all the time. Scottsdale parties harder than Vegas all the time. I'm talking every day of the week, there's something going on. There's some trouble to go get into. And when you're a bartender and you make like five to thousand dollars. It's cash. It's pretty easy to go spend that, um, hanging out and doing all that stuff. But like what I noticed was as I'm, as I'm, as I'm falling prey to this fear and like just getting into like this, this self-centered, like self-pity mode, like I needed alcohol to, to function, to survive, to process emotions, to do anything, um, to talk to a girl, to talk to friends, to make friends, to do anything. Um, you know, it just kind of, it just became so synonymous with how I was living my life. And as sad as that is, like, that's just generally how things progressed. And, you know, a lot of that attributes to like back when I, when I went from Iraq to Detroit, when I went back home, you know, because I just didn't, I didn't feel right. I didn't feel like everything was okay. And so my, my go-to, my reach was self-medication. And that's, that's really what I did. Um, after a while I, I started messing around with some um, drugs, uh, did some cocaine. Cocaine was fun, you know, cause I could get drunk, do a couple of bumps and I could drink longer. I mean, like you get sober right now, you can keep going. Uh, I ended up getting in trouble with that, with the law. Um, they picked me up in the casino too. It was like straight out of like Goodfellas or something. They like two guys on the arm. They pulled me in this back room, like underground of like, I think it was V Cueva or something like that. And they're like, where this? And we got it on video. And so I had to do a uh, task for a year, which I did. I jumped through all the hoops. Uh, I had to pee in a cup like two, three times a month just to make sure I was this and wasn't allowed to drink and had to pay for counseling and, and all this stuff and still wasn't done. Like that wasn't enough for me. It wasn't quite painful enough because I still needed alcohol to function. I still was trying to to manipulate and control the world. And that's really where like a lot of my my issues come from. You know, it's... It's just this self-centered, like, there's there's nothing bigger than me out there. I'm the center of the universe, and everything's about me, involves me, or needs to involve me. And, like, when that happens, I can control everything, and then everything's okay. And then I can, you know, drink with impunity like everyone else can. But, you know, that slowly ran out. I got my, my third DUI. Uh, it was fair time out here in Arizona. And they announced it on all the radios, but I guess I just wanted to see if it was really there. So I drove into it, DUI checkpoint. Jeez. And uh, yeah. You can believe them. You had to learn. Yeah, no, I had to go see it for myself. And they were laughing at me the whole time I was being an asshole. Um, the lady cop is like this. And I'm like, I want my rights. And, you know, it's like my third DUI. I'm just belligerent. And, you know, um, I, I, I did all that. I got, I got the DUI in a company van. And like towards the end of like, this, this run of my life, like I, I moved up to Northern Arizona 
for a girl because I thought that was going to be the fix. I'm going to move up here. I'm going to slow down on drinking. Life's going to get good. I'm going to be okay. And none of that happened. It got worse. It got really bad. Like I started blacking out super often. I had a friend, um, his name's Sean, who literally one night he grabbed me by the shoulders and he smacked me across the face. And he said, you need to go in the VA and you need to get help about your PTSD. And it was like, that was like the first time that I was ready or willing to admit because up until that point, I was like, no, I hadn't done enough. There wasn't enough that happened. There wasn't enough that that had been going on for me um, that I don't have this. This isn't a thing that I have, you know, or I didn't want to believe it. But after that kind of happened, that was a, that was a slow part of my wake up. That third DUI was another one. And then I came off a four day bender where I got drunk. I don't know how. Um, up to that point, I lost my girlfriend. I lost the house that we had together. Um, I lost the the, the Pee Wee football team I, I was coaching. Um, I lost another car. Uh, I was living in a garage with no AC on two grimy mattresses with my clothes piled up next to me because I drank myself into that. I it was kicked out of the friend's house that I was living with. I ended up moving with my my dad for a couple of months, and then like I couldn't do that. And the friend's like, "Hey, I got a garage," and okay. And, hot and sweaty summer, you know, just, just constantly being drunk and all that stuff. But after this four day bender, I woke up in that house. I couldn't stop shaking. Um, I couldn't stop like dry heaving and convulsing. And I got into a point where I was scaring myself because I didn't want to be here anymore. You know, like, I don't care how, what happened. Like if I didn't wake up, that's cool. The world's better off, you know? And I got to a place of just this ultimate selfish self-pity spot where it's like, poor me, like, look at how my life has developed. Um, and I was ready to die until it came time after that four day bender, when I felt like I was going to die. And that's when I finally reached out. And, you know, at that time, it all kind of hit me like a two by four across the face. It was like, Hey, why don't you try quit drinking? You know, because up until that point, quitting drinking wasn't really like what I thought about, but it's like, it's where I got to. It was, was, things finally got bad enough where I was like, man, maybe I do need some help. You know, and you were, you were probably having alcohol withdrawals. I think when you were shaking and when you I, I, I doubt it because I was still pretty drunk from the night before. Okay. Like, I think it was just DTs kicking in. I mean, that's, that's what happens. Um, alcohol is the only drug you can't quit cold Turkey cause you can yeah. die. And well, so that was, that was my point. I've, I've come across yeah. it a few times. I mean, I, and for any, I, the reason I'm bringing it up is for anyone out there that is in a similar situation, like, that, that's no joke. Like I, I've, I've dealt with people that have had that and they're, you can talk to them. They're totally sober, no yeah. issue. They can walk a straight line and all of a sudden they start sweating and they start shaking and they, they literally can die if they don't get the right medication or more alcohol. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a really serious thing. So um, and just, just to add on to that, yeah. if, if people that hear this plan on detoxing, just go to a hospital and detox. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to monitor you. They're going to hook you up with an IV. They're going to make sure that, that you detox and, and stay alive. Um, you know, I've, when we do um, calls, cause I am part of my local program here, like, like we take alcohol with us because that's how important it is. Like people can't just quit it cold Turkey. Right. Like you need to step down off of it if you're past a certain point. So it's always important to seek some, some professional help, but um I, I know you're making, I know you're making light of it, but, uh, which is great. I'm glad you're in a mental, a mental state right now where you can look back and go, yeah, man, gosh, that stupid gas station, you know, yeah. like, oh yeah. But, but, uh, you know, it, 
can you can you go into i mean and you don't have to if you don't want to but can you go into like where was your mind at i mean and i know you just did a little bit but i i want our listeners to understand and hear it from somebody that um made a decision after literally i mean it sounds like you're at just the bottom of bottoms right like what was the mind process did you walk yourself through that or did you just go I, I am going to die if I don't go get some help. And was that what it was or was right. it? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it came to um, because it, for me, it had to come to that. Right. Because like I was talking earlier, like bootcamp Marine, I'll run through a brick wall. And I did that in my life. I mean, like the, nothing was ever enough. I could do jail standing on my head. I could go through relationships. I didn't give a fuck about people. All I cared about was me and me getting drunk and like me being okay. Because when I got drunk then I was okay with everyone and everything, but you get to a point where it just doesn't work anymore, you know? And, and it, and it got to that point where I was like, I'm going to die. Like, I, I, I can't explain exactly how it hit or, or, or what happened. I just woke up and I just knew I, I was going to die. And like, I didn't feel okay. Like I didn't feel like I was even in my body, but it was just like, Holy cow. I mean, I'd lost a lot of weight and I'm giving you guys definitely the Sunday school version of like everything that was going on in the background, but there was a lot. Um, sure. I mean, there's a lot going on. Um, physically with my body, with, with relationships with people, with my family, like there was a lot that just got me to a point where it's like, maybe, maybe I need to, to change it, you know? Um, and it's, and it's hard. And I think it's even harder being a vet because one of my, my, my favorite things that I've heard in recovery is we have moral and philosophical convictions galore. And that's me, right? I'm a Marine. I follow honor, courage, and commitment. I like envision myself, you know, I'm, I'm working in these restaurants and these people don't know I'm a Marine. They don't know what that means. They don't know what that kind of commitment is. They don't know that I'm a combat veteran. They don't know, you know, and in, in the back of my head, I'm having this dialogue, you know, and that's kind of like, that's almost the expression of that PTSD coming forward because it's like this, this, this dialogue I'm having with myself um, about people don't know. And then that gets me angry. And then that starts to set me off and that starts to have me spiral in a certain direction or whatever. Um, you know, and, and to really kind of like step back from that and look and be like, Hey man, like these, who you think you are, isn't who you are. Right. That was the hardest truth I had to digest. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was a cheater. I was all of these things that I never thought or I never wanted to be because when I was 18 years old, I had these values instilled in me, these moral values. And I know they do in the army and they do in the Navy and they do in the air force. Like they teach us to be these young accountable men. And I slowly drank all of that away. And I thought I was a certain person. And when I came in and I, and I, and I did work on myself and um, I, I, I do do a program. It's a 12 step program. It's, it's a, um, and to take an honest, earnest look at myself and write down, these are the things that I did this is how I hurt people. This is how I lied. This is what I'm afraid of. This is how I've abused sex. You know, like all of these things all added up to someone that I didn't want to be that I had become, you know? And, and I think that was, that was a a very awakening moment because I had to separate my delusion from what reality is. And I had to come to terms with, Hey, this is who Dustin is. This is who he is as an alcoholic, you know? And, um, I'm grateful for so many people that were there that for fun and for free reached out and would talk to me, would help me. I'm, I'm, 
that first year, that first 11 months, I didn't get a job because I drew a line and saying, I'm not going back to bartending. Cause that's going to be toxic. That's going to, that's a trigger. Totally. It'll, it'll send me right back down that. Plus I hate people at this point because you work <laughs> enough happy hours. You hate everybody because you don't want to hear about the sake bomb or the $5 sushi roll, you know, like, <clears throat> but I'm like, I, I need, I need to change of direction. I can't do this anymore because um, I have to get healthy. I have to get, I have to get better because I was so sick and I was so tired and, and you hear it. I'm sure you've heard it in movies. You're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like that's a legit thing. Like I would belly up to a bar and it's like clocking in. It's not one or two drinks. It's like four or five, six hours of drinking and it's beer shot, beer shot, beer shot. Mm-hmm. So I can get to an acceptable level where like, I'm okay with myself. Now I can be me. You know what I'm saying? And like, man, and I know I was obnoxious. I know I was an asshole. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think that what you're talking about um, from your life is, I mean, that's an extreme, right? Um, and I, but I, you know, I would bet, and I can relate to what you're saying that, you know, self reflection, I guess, self reflection is the hardest thing, whether you're trying to start a business where you're um, struggling with an addiction or you're struggling with making a change to do anything. Um, Self-reflection is the most difficult thing. And I think men in particular don't want to admit that you're weak. I think we don't want to admit that we've made a bad decision or a wrong choice. Um, And I'm, I'm surely guilty of that uh, on, you know, I, we don't even, we don't even need to get into it, but multiple levels. And I think our listeners, you know, you may not be at rock bottom um, like Dustin's talking about, but um, you know, I think it is very healthy mentally to take self-reflection and, and an honest self-reflection and, and then make a decision if you want to change, whether it's, I got to go to the hospital and detox or it's something simple as, you know what, I'm overweight. Um, I, I, because ha- you come up with all these excuses, right? Yeah. Like you're overweight. I, you know, but you, you we all have that friend, right? Mm-hmm. That, and, and I've been that guy, right? Where I go, oh shit, I'm over 300 pounds, you know, but then I got a freaking honey bun and, you know, and a milkshake in my hand and I'm complaining about, you know, I, I can't lose weight because I'm, I, you know, I, I get on the bike and I go for, <laughs> a half a minute. And then, you know, I don't understand why not. Right. But it's, you know, until I sit down and I go, you know what, stop buying hostess dummy. It's, it's, I mean, and you can, you can apply that train of thought to your situation and and any situation out there. I think self-reflection is, is very, very, very difficult if you do it honestly. Right. You're admitting that you're admitting, and, and it can be good though too, right? You can look at it. And if you're doing self-reflection, you should be looking at the things you're doing good too. I do this very well. I just struggle with this. Like you know, it doesn't have to always be a negative thing anyway. You know, every time. Uh, anyway, I don't. I don't think it's ever a negative thing. There's never. And that's right. That's right. Down and take a personal inventory of who you are, where you're at, and the things that you've done, and it turn out to be bad. You know. Like, yeah, you're right. How it works, like it can be, it can be an absolutely life-changing event. And like, you know, and it doesn't have to be, I think what happens is we get so worked up in our minds, right. 
And we see these lives that are lived on social media. They're not real. I'm going to just throw that out there. These Come on. Yeah. <laughs> this is the best of the best of everybody that we're trying to look good for. Um, or we're playing that self-pity card. So we get all the, you know, the extra likes and follows and sad quotes. Um, but like to, to, to do small little incremental changes like journaling, that could be a life changer for anyone that could save a life. If you could take two minutes out of your day at night and Hey, this is what happened. Well, this is how I felt about it. You can start to examine, Hey, this is, this is some sort of, I need to process this. Why did I feel this way? You know, like my favorite's jealousy. I used to be jealous, like crazy. Right. Because my first addiction was other people's approval and I'd have this girl and she couldn't go to the bar without me. She couldn't go to the grocery store without me, you know? And if she did, well, I'm going to go get drunk at her because she doesn't know what she's doing. So like she'd do things and it pissed me off. And then I go get drunk at her and do stupid shit that would just hurt me in the long run. But like, you know, having to, man, it's like, that's just crazy. But you look at things like jealousy and it's like, well, why am I jealous? Well, because of this and this. But when you start to, to dilute it down, what's, what's really behind the jealousy? Fear. I'm not good enough. Why are you not good enough? Yeah, it's, it's, a, self, it's a self-evaluation thing. Right. It's, all, and, it's all, yeah. Exactly. And 99% of everything in this world has nothing to do with other people. It has nobody nobody else can change you. Correct. There's a million, there's a million environmental factors and people yeah. are one of them. Right. But you know, if you're listening today and, and I hate to, I hate to bring the guy in, but, but, uh, um, David Goggins says it all the time. Right. And he's a nut job, right? He's a crazy self-reflector. Oh, so good. I, yeah. I said it like two years ago. Oh <laughs> yeah. No, I I've listened to it and read it, but, and we've talked yeah. about him a million times, but, but, some of the things that he's talks about it. I mean, you have to make the change. You have to be the one that sits down and says, and I, and I love what you said. You looked at yourself and you said, I think I'm this person. And I think I, and this is who I want to be, but with true self-reflection, I, I'm not that guy. Right. So what, you know, again, apply that to whatever decision you're trying to make or change you're trying to make. And Nobody's going to do it for you. Nobody owes you anything. No, that's why I try to teach my kids that, you know, if you don't learn anything from dad, I want you to have your own opinions. I want you to do whatever it is you want to do in life. But I want you to always remember that nobody owes you anything and nobody can change you. You, you change yourself. If you don't like it, you got to choose left or right, Not, not politically, but the road, right? Left or right, left or right. It's, it's binary decisions on a daily basis, you know? So it's it's a philosophy that I I live my life by right now. Um, in everything all the time, what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing? And everything's a choice, you know, and everything kind of unfolds that way. My wife is amazing at that, that binary decision. Um, you know, I'm a clown. Um, my wife is, is very, very good at, and don't get me wrong, she's not perfect, but she is very good at that binary decision of she knows exactly who she wants to be and from a moral standpoint, what code she wants to live by. And for her, it's, it is the simplest, you know, it's the simplest answer. I, sh- I, sh- I struggle with lying, to be honest, for our listeners. I struggle yep. with, you know, I, and it's out of fear, um, 
for what I, you know, we can go into a million reasons. Nobody wants to hear about it, but it's a fear thing where I don't want to upset my wife or I don't want to upset one of my children or, you know, whoever. Right. And for my wife, she, it's one of the amazing things about her is it's a very binary. She's it's yes or no. And and it's, you know, I would say 999 times out of a thousand, the decision she makes is based upon the person she wants to be, right? And and she makes that choice like that. There's no hesitation, no question whatsoever. So, right. you know. So when did you decide to start Eclipse, though? I mean, was this before you were drinking yeah, and stuff? It was right about then. Okay. Um, so after I decided not to go back, I had just read Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill, great book. Um, to change my mindset, right? Set goals for myself because I've never really done that. Um, I have college degrees that I'm not using. They're pointless. They're still pointless. I don't use them. Um, Paid a lot of money for them. But um, yeah, so it was (laughs) these changes and I'm going to try something new, you know? And so I'd read somewhere. It's like, what did you like doing when you were 13 years old? Shit, I like drawing and I played on computers. So combine the two. Found graphic design, right? That's where I started. Grabbed a client or two and then, you know, started going down this rabbit hole. I wanted to uh, build websites. Now, when I was in college at ASU, I'd taken some video game design courses where I learned some coding and all that stuff. Um, Web development's way easier on the coding, but that was fun. So it was like, it just started opening this Pandora's box. And then it was like, as I'm I'm doing the thing and I'm I'm growing and I kind of want to circle back really quick to what you were saying, like when we were talking about David Goggins. Extreme ownership by, by Jocko is huge too, but it's like, it's getting into that, getting out of that victim mentality. And that's what I was doing at this time too. So I took this, this huge inventory. I made amends for my behavior to a lot of people where I sat down eye to eye said, Hey, these are the things I did. I didn't say sorry because I'm trying to mend my life. Now I'm trying to change it in a better way. I didn't say sorry, but I, I would tell people I was in fear. I was scared. I was sad. I was hurt. I was angry. I did X to you in this cause Y I did X to you in this cause, you know, and, and looked them in the eye and did all of that to make amends. And they all went really good. There was one bad one that actually what it did was open the door that for reconnection later on in life. Um, but, but getting out of that, that mentality, like someone owes me something cause I'm a fucking veteran. I'm a combat vet. The United States government owes me a house and a education and a business and all this stuff. Like that was my mentality for a long time. Cause what happened was when I lost my truck, I got sued by Ford Motor Credit. So from 22 to 31, I had like crappy, I, I didn't have credit. I wasn't allowed to get a loan. I wasn't allowed to get a credit card. I was barely allowed to have a checking account and all that stuff, right? And so like in my mind, I'm like, oh, everyone's out to screw me. And like, you know, the the bank's overdrafting me. I'm spending the money, but I'm blaming the bank. You know, like um, that was that was that mentality I was in. I was in this like this victim mentality because that way it wasn't my fault. I wasn't fucking up my life. It was everything else, but to change and have that shift in perception where it's like, well, now I need to take ownership. I don't want to be that whiny bro vet. I want to be the, I want to make changes in this world. My service doesn't have to define me. My service is a big part of my life. It is a massive part of my life, but it's not who I am. You know, I'm a funny guy. I'm sensitive. I like talking with people. I like helping. I like being of service. I like doing all the things that I do. But, you know, there was this four-year period of time where I was something else, you know. So, like, going into this as I'm getting healthier and I'm, and I'm, and I'm taking the inventory, I'm making amends to people, uh, I'm cleaning up my life, 
I, I and, and dealing with PTSD. And dealing with PTSD. Well, that hadn't quite started yet because what actually had happened at first was I got relief. Like I felt okay for the first time in my life after that when, first year sober. When you got sober? Okay, yeah, okay. So after that first year sober, like everything got peace and serene. How, how, how many years? How many years? You're seven? Got, I'm working on seven right now. Seven, yeah, seven. seven September, okay. So. Congratulations, by the way. I appreciate that. It's been quite the journey, but so I, I get to this, this place. It's almost like Nirvana. It's meditative. It's like nothing can go wrong. Nothing can piss me off. Everything rolls off my back like a duck, you know, water off a duck's back. Um, everything just jives and it's good. Well, that only lasts for so long, you know, and it only lasts as long as it's supposed to last. But I ended up getting a job after my first year and a half sober working for Arizona's largest winery. So I became the pusher man. So like I went back kind of in the industry, but I got to do cool things like make my own wine labels and, you know, work with some cool people and distributors and create these awesome dinners and all that stuff. But I did it all sober. Like I could have walked in and jumped into a vat of wine at any time that I wanted. Um, but you know, I didn't. And, uh, it was an amazing experience and it gave me a little bit more, for after that two-year stretch, I started. That's when I started Eclipse. That's when I started my business. Can I ask you um, real quick about the the winery before you move on. Did you ever feel a temptation being around alcohol and no. being back in that environment? No. When you're really done, you're done. Like okay. I can't explain it to you. I don't know how how the voodoo works, right? But I do these things that people tell me, and all of a sudden, I have zero desire. I don't even want to do it. Even when things get bad, it's like that's not the answer. You know, I don't hate people that want to drink. I know I'm still an alcoholic because we'll go out to the bars like dancing or playing bingo or whatever we do here in uh, Cottonwood. Um, and I'll drink Pepsi like nonstop like this, you know, just like I used to drink beer, but it's Pepsi. Right. So I know the tick's still there somewhere, but you know, like when it comes to alcohol, not, not even a little bit, you know, and, and most people uh, respect me for that and all that. Oh, if they don't, they, you don't need them. Right. Yeah. Right. Alcohol is, does what it does, but when it gets inside of me, it's, it's a beast. That's when, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like, you know, that's when Hyde comes out when I, when I get alcohol. So like, I just can't do it and I'm okay with that. So being on the road and seeing some of Arizona and it was a life-changing career opportunity. Um, it was, it was a good life. I had a lot of fun and it lasted exactly as long as it was supposed to last because then um, I had met my business partner and we'd started getting things working in the background because I really wanted to do my own thing. Because I think for me and my pursuit of happiness in this country is to be my own businessman. Well, four years later, I'm a little stressed out and I'm like angry and I got bills to pay. But at the time, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And um, to be honest, pulling up to my own office and like kind of making my own way is, has been amazing, you know, going from living in a garage, eating top ramen, smoking cigarette butts off the ground to where I'm at today in this, this beautiful house by the river. And I've got my office and my life is just like, I want for nothing really. Like I want for nothing. I like a G five, but you know, in reality, like I don't need it, you know? And Hey, when you get it, come get me. <laughs> yeah. And there, and there's, well, there's Same like, here. I'll pick you guys both up. Yeah. We'll go, yeah. Right yep. middle, we'll go to Vegas or something, but like, there, there was a shift that as all of this is, is happening, it's like the most valuable thing, the most precious commodity I have now is my time. That's it. Yeah. It's not money. It's not gold. It's not diamond. It's my time. Who I choose to spend it with, where I choose to put my effort and energy. That's all that, that really has any value to me anymore. Um, before it was all about these, these wild ideas that I made up in my mind of, oh, this is what I need to be and who I need to look like, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was part of that victim mentality where everyone owes me something. And that's not the case anymore. You know, it's like, for me, what makes me 
happiest is when I have the opportunity to give back, when I can sit down and talk. You know, selfishly, my hope is us doing this podcast, someone hears something and it can change their life, you know, because that's how it happened for me. Connecting with and, and finding those opportunities in life, that's what makes life the richest. That's what makes it the best, you know? And is that why you why you do eclipse the way you do it? For sure. Like, you know, my I'm not chasing down these huge accounts, like they show up, but like I help people. I take people from nothing that don't know anything, but they have a great idea and they have a passion. Well, let's get some LLC paperwork filed. Let's get, you know, your branding done. Let's get some business cards printed. Let's get some stickers printed. Let's get your website built. Let's get some e-commerce set up. Let's get some credit card processing. Let's, you know, stack all these blocks. Now we're on social media. Now you need, this is the voice you need to have. This is what you need to do. Um, to see them take off, to see life start to, you know, spring up and, they, and they're, they're running around and they become a huge productive member of society and they're happy. And like, that's, that's what I do it for. You know, like I started off gladly doing work for free. You know, I don't do that anymore because I'm, I got a lot of work on my plate, but like, that's, that's what it is. And to this day, that's still like the philosophy and culture that we build on. It's like, have a phone call with us. We're not going to charge you for it. Tell us your idea, have a free console. What are you doing? How can you do it better? Have you thought about this? You know, like that's the stuff that I still like really, really enjoy doing. And, and it's an opportunity for me to continue to give back. And as so, long as I that, I'm never going to, you know, be poor. So maybe for somebody out there listening, your company, and, and obviously like, like we always do, we'll, we're going to put Dustin's um, information in the show notes, his website, his Instagram handle and other things where you can find this, his company Eclipse. But um, for the listeners, so, so Eclipse can do um, small business management, large business management, whatever, wherever you're at in the process, if you need yeah. some help, um, taking your company to the next level, whether it's zero to one yeah. or if it's 10 to 12, whatever that is, you, you can help, right? You have solutions for that. Our goal is to be that one-stop shop to help you to make the best informed decisions to continue to grow and, and, and grow into what you want to be. Um, you know, and that's, that's just my way of coming, giving back as best as I can too. And um, you know, it, it has been an interesting ride and like, like I said, like the peace and strength didn't last forever. And in like 2019, I, I ran into a wall. Um, life has been good. And, you know, I've been running the business for a couple of years and I got into this situation that produced a lot of anxiety in me for two weeks. I was in anxiety slash panic attack and I had panic attacks before and I didn't know what they were. I thought I was having a heart attack. So I'd sit here and be like shaking out my left arm be like, Oh, what is this? Can't breathe. Chest tightens your get heart palpitations, get a little sweaty, you know, that's anxiety, that's panic attacks. And I didn't know what that was. So in 2019, I, I ran into a big wall of this and I couldn't shake it for two weeks. And then everything got better. I got the news that I wanted or whatever. And I got out of this anxiety and that only lasted for a day and I was back in it again. And I, and I started to shut down and close up. I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to leave the Valley. I couldn't go to work. I couldn't do things. I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't, I was in confusion. I was in like memory, like all of this stuff is happening and I'm just humming with anxiety all the time. And funny enough, that was scary enough for me to quit smoking. So I've, I've quit smoking for two years um, due to anxiety. So thanks anxiety. But like, I was, <laughs> that's so, usually the opposite. Usually. I know. 
Usually know, anxiety I, makes you do that that twitchy cigarette yeah. or whatever it is. And, yeah. and cigarettes were my main. That was my main girlfriend from like day one, you know, like that's how I smoke calmed him. down. And, smoke yeah. him if you got him. 100%. Like, oh, that's my meditation. Just uh, people like, oh, you're, you're going to die early. Oh, I don't want to wear diapers. You know, all that stuff that we say. <laughs> like, oh, I'm cool. I smoke. Um, but it, 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 I was just in this, this weird head state and I was like, just I was scared of everything. I'm like, I got to quit smoking. So I started popping gum and I, and then I quit smoking, you know, um, I reached out and talked to some people and I ended up getting a counselor and, uh, me and her kind of set off to work on my PTSD. Um, because going back to what we said before, like the soul leaves the body. Well, at some point the soul wants to come back. Right. And so what happened was, is I really feel that like, everything's okay. It's been okay for like three, four years, or I was actually like five years now. It's time for me to start feeling things. Right. And I'm, I'm a firm believer that when you have certain feelings, it's time for you to process and heal from certain traumas in your life. And that's just kind of where I was. And, um, sitting down and working with a therapist, I am getting into my feelings. And the one that I hate more than anything is anxiety. It gets pins and needles in my fingers. It just gets me going. It changes the way that I breathe. It changes the way that I think. Um, and I hate anxiety, but that's that's my favorite. You know, that's the one that loves to show up. Um, so for me, what I found through through working is that the only way for us to take care of this PTSD is to share it. Anything that we share has the power it holds over us, right? So if there's something like, I had to fly a couple of weeks ago. I went on vacation and I don't know why I love flying, but anxiety, you don't know what happens. It latches on to something and it'll just make it bigger and bigger in your mind that had happened. And, you know, like what I did was I reached out to um, some of my close network and like, Hey, I got to talk about this. Like set aside that, that toxic masculinity, that bravado, that all that stuff. Like, Hey man, I don't know why, but I'm kind of scared of flying right now. Not that I'm going to fall out of the sky or anything like that, but like, my anxiety just grabbed onto something. And, and, you know, I don't know exactly how it works, but I know how to get out of it a lot better now because I can reach out, I can talk to people. And when I share these things, they start to, I start to understand them. I start to look at them. So when now, before I didn't know when I was in panic anxiety, I just thought I was having a heart attack or getting sweaty. Now I understand that like, Hey, when this ha feeling happens, this is what's going on in my body. This is where I'm at, you know? And it's okay because I start to, because sometimes I kick my own ass. I'm sure everyone else does that. Like, oh, you shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be doing this. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, and I'm just shouldn't all over myself. Like I have, I'm like, step back. I was like, dude, like, it's okay. You're just in this, this, this position, just step back and change your breathing. Just take it, you know, do what you have to do to get out of it. Like, it's okay. You know, it's like, well, I shouldn't be like this and I shouldn't do that. I'm like, no, like be easy on yourself because the thing about PTSD is the older we get, the longer we don't treat it, the worse it gets, you know, at least now I, I have the ability to confront it. And I walk through a lot of things. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone's had that bad experience in the VA. Well, I had one. Um, and now I have white coat syndrome. I don't know if you guys know what that is, right? You go into the doctor and you're scared. Yeah. You just, you're just scared of going to the doctor. So what happened was, is I went in, I had, I, I just had a, don't go. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's the way to do it. Yeah. And so you're trying to walk through all this disability stuff. Holy cow. I'm doing it, but I'm doing it reluctantly. Um, I'd gone to the, the, the VA Prescott, uh, Prescott VA. And I was going there. I got a blood clot when I was working for a stronghold on the road from driving so much. 
Um, I ended up forming a blood clot and had to be on this blood thinner. So I was going to see a hematologist to get off the blood thinners, which I did. Um, and uh, like I roll in there and I'm just in, I'm in anxiety and they strap me down to a chair and take my blood pressure. Oh, it's high. We're going to take it after, before you leave. I'm like, okay. So they come up afterwards and she's like, Hey, I need to, I need to do it again. Well, it's high. Well, it's getting higher. Yeah. Cause I'm getting freaked out. I need to leave. Can I go smoke a cigarette? Can I go chill out? No, you have to stay here. You can't leave. Holy triggered. That sent me like skyrocketing. And then they like put the little thing on my finger for my pulse. Yeah. My pulse is through the roof. Yeah. Because this is an ending. And then you know, it ended up being like two uh, VA nurses screaming in my face. If you don't calm down, you're going to have a stroke or a heart attack. I'm like, I can't calm down. You're yelling at me. And, you know, then they ended up taking me to the ER and uh, I AMA'd with the ER. I'm like, I don't have to go here. Do, do I? And they're like, no, you can, you can leave. I'm like, thank God. So I left and like, it was such an episode. I can't go to the doctors anymore. You know, like, thank you. Like PTSD and anxiety for that fun stuff. But, um, you know, like, it's just so weird how it just, It'll latch on to something and then it'll just make it so much bigger. And one of my biggest triggers is, is being trapped. So like, you know, being in the, the Humvee for, you know, days, weeks, months on end, living in that thing, like, you know, not having that freedom to move or get out that that'll definitely get me, you know, um, Dude, I get triggered with my food. So like, oh, yeah? I only eat, like, um, I I'm very, I'm a foodie. I'll eat a million different things. I'll try new stuff, but there's like three things I, I really hate. It's mayonnaise, ranch dressing, <laughs> sour cream, and wow. like chunky tomatoes. Right. Yeah. Like, and so I, I like tomato sauce and stuff, but I don't like the, the, the chunky tomato. Right. right? Yeah. So like we go to a taco place, I'm very specific. Yeah. Like I don't want sour cream mm-hmm. and, and no tomatoes. Just that's it. Right. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I get, you know, my plate will come and I have such like an OCD. It's exactly what you're talking about. Like I, I freak out. Like I have to, like my wife will look at the plate literally like the other day, she literally, the lady setting down the tray to at our table and she's like, uh, honey, I'll take care of this. Like, <laughs> like, uh, I'll explode on somebody over sour cream and tomatoes. And, you know, I, I don't explode. That's a, that's an exaggeration, but it, it is very much me where I'll go, you know what? I'm not even hungry. I don't want to eat now. Right. Right. I'm done. You guys eat. I'm just going to ruin tonight, you know, and, and, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I get that, I yeah. mean, but that's, that's how we feel safe. That's how we feel. Okay. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. that OCD, that perfectionism, that, that means I'm fucked up somewhere. This needs to be just the way it is. Yeah. So that way I feel safe. That I, way I, feel okay. I start going through this whole, it's the same, it's the same shtick every time my wife and my kids are just like, yeah, dad, whatever. Right. But it's like, I'm like, I don't understand what the problem is. Like you, I said it very clearly. You yeah. repeated it back to me. It's on the receipt, like in capital letters, no tomatoes. What is the problem? Like, did you right. not look at the, th- you know, I start going through this whole, you know, <laughs> I don't understand what the, you know, where is the malfunction in this? Like, it's not that hard to read steak, taco, no tomatoes. Like what? Well, that's that military mindset too, because it's the mission. Like, Hey, we do things and it's a list and it gets done and it gets taken care of. No questions asked, you know, like I'm I'm guilty of that too. Cause I have to find grace and empathy for people sometimes when I'm like, what do you mean? You don't know how to do it. You know, it's like, this easy. you know, you got to break it down Barney style and I get frustrated and you know, that that's a hard one too. Oh, dude, I have, I know I'm a storyteller, but when I first got out of the army, 
I went into the insurance business and uh, the first week I was there, I sold my first insurance policy. So we had a guy in the office, like you would bring the information on the business and he would get a quote for you. And then you'd go out, propose it, get a check. And then, you know, you, you make money. Right. Yeah. And, and so I went out and I can, it was a painting company. I got this quote from Zurich from this guy in our office. And this guy's probably early sixties. Um, and, you know, so I go out and meet with this painting company. They give me the check. I bring it back. And the guy looks at me and he goes, the guy in our office says, well, you know what? Zurich, the sheriff's company at the time, they're not doing construction companies here in, in Nevada anymore. We got to get you a different quote. And here's the quote. And, you know, and the quote was like, you know, difference of several thousand dollars. Right. right. He's like, you got to go back out and repropose. And I'm like, well, no, my job, I did my job. Like you, gave, you're the one that gave me the proposal. And so did I, I mean, I'm like, I'm like two weeks out of the army. Like yeah. I'm two yeah. weeks from Fort hood. Right. And I'm right. just like, I start telling this dude, like, and he, he kind of snaps back at me at first and I go into drill sergeant mode and I'm just like, mm-hmm. I will pull your eyeballs out. And, yeah. you know, and like, I'm, I'm just letting this dude have it. And so, yeah this lady who was in our bond department, this older lady, she goes, Hey Ben, she's like, Hey, come here real quick and close the door. And I'm like, hey, yeah, what's up? You know? And she's like, you know, Gary is going to probably go home and cry. Like you're going to make this, like he's freaking out. I'm like, what are right. you talking? What yeah. are you talking about? Isn't that how you talk to people? Right. Isn't <laughs> yeah. How this goes? Yeah. Yeah. She's cool. like, she's like, Ben, you're not in the army anymore. She's right. like, uh, sh- you know, and, and, to Gary's uh, apparently I didn't see all this happening, but like he literally like was on the phone with the insurance company, like telling the, the guy, like this dude is going to kill me. Can you just approve this one quote? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was funny. Funny thing is, is the guy that ran the insurance company, his dad was a general in the army. And so yeah. he came to the office the next day and was like, I got to meet this guy. That's going to rip your eyeballs out. And like, right. Know, and uh, yeah, he li- he's actually down your way. He actually lives in. Uh, oh, cool. He actually lives in Phoenix. He's we're good friends to to this day. But yeah, I, it's just so funny to hear other people tell these stories. Like, mm-hmm. and it's you don't, you know, when you're just living your life, like, you know, you don't realize that that is a form of PTSD. That's a form of, you you know. Anyway, well, uh, I mean, it's, it's a programming. It's brainwashing. I mean, yeah comfortable that's how we feel okay and it's like we go to these places what do we have to rely on the people next to us right and they rely on us and there's that implicit trust that's not in the civilian world that was one of the biggest things i noticed like i always felt like everyone had my back when i was in the marines right then i get out into the civilian world it's like nobody has my back you know everyone's out for themselves and it's this very self-serving thing isn't it weird isn't it weird you can work with somebody in the civilian world for 10 years and you're like now okay i trust you a little bit now like maybe i'll i'll have a beer with you or a, a pepsi and and like you and i just met today right for the first time and and we you know we're in two different states and if if you came to vegas i'd probably let you stay at my house i'd be like you know like you know what i mean like you came up here i'd be like yeah and i'm gonna take you out we're gonna go back yeah yeah we're all best friends no issues yeah and 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 you know and if we get in a bar fight you know we all know like we're all together i mean i'm a storyteller yeah I, i i'm gonna tell one more story i know we're dragging on here but uh we were downtown Honolulu and it was me and my platoon mates and we're at a, 
we were at a club or something downtown and uh we had that guy everybody had that guy in the platoon that you know he's fighting every I night right wow, yeah really? I probably so so my my guy's name was Peluso and I, and I and I don't even know if he listens to the podcast but if he does he won't mind me saying his name and so you know I'm sitting there just hanging out and I hear somebody come up, you know, dude, Peluso's outside. He's fighting these Marines. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, all right. It's not my (laughs) night to watch him, but I'm going to go get him. And so, like, you know, a dozen of us pour out of this bar club and Peluso's standing in the street, downtown Honolulu, you know, head to head with like a dozen Marines by himself, you know, and he's like, nope, you're the first one that's going down. Then I'm going to hit you. And then, you know, I may not win this fight, but I'm, I promise you three of you aren't walking back to, to, uh, Kaneohe Bay to K Bay. And, uh, these dudes are all talking smack. So we roll out. And then as we're smack talking, these Marines, these, uh, like spring break college dudes walk by and they go, Hey, why don't you get stupid, take that military crap somewhere else. And immediately, right all 24 of us turned around and said, what'd you say? You know, and, <laughs> that boy. Yeah. yeah. And, and then we start duking it out with these, these college kids. And and then as we're running away, we, we like look at the Marine dudes and we're like, all right, bro, I'll see you later. <laughs> you know, we'll see you next, next week. Time. Yeah. yeah. We'll see you next time, bro. And then, you know, we see these guys, you know, Honolulu is a small military, but you know, we'd see them and be like, Oh, Hey man, what's up? How you doing? Now we're good. Right. We were going to kill each other a minute ago, but now we're good. It's funny how veteran, not veteran, uh, you know, that camaraderie is, is there's there's a commonality. I mean, there's a common thread. Like, I don't know what it is and it doesn't matter in like, whether it's, if you served, there's a connection. Yeah. There's just something at some point you tried to be selfless and put it all on the line for your country, for your friends. Well, for your friends, really, because we always say, yeah, for God and country and all that stuff. But really, it's for the friends that are next to me in the same shithole that I'm in when we're trying to get out together. You know, and every, everybody has different reasons for signing the the papers and raising their hand. But you're you're absolutely right. Once you're there, you realize and I don't care what it is. If you're in a combat MOS, if you're you know, if you're a, a, a dental clerk in the Air Force, well, maybe dental clerk in the Air Force <laughs> right. isn't, but most, most now, <laughs> I mean, once you get there, you know, it is, it's for the guy standing next to you, yeah. guy standing in front of you or, or lady. I mean, I met, I met just as many, yeah. just as many, um, you know, army females that were, you know, kick ass, take totally. names, you know, so. I know, I know we're taking up your time, man. Let me ask you. So we ask every, we ask every guest that comes on, you know, we we've clearly outlined to you, you know, who we're trying to reach and what we're trying to do. And I think you actually have, we're going to have some great, great sound bites from you on this one. And you've answered this question, I think multiple times in your story, but if you could give somebody out there one piece of advice that maybe wants to start a business, um, you know, maybe wants to make a change, get in the gym, uh, you know, and, based upon our conversation, you know, if, if you want to make a change and get into AA, whatever, whatever you choose that one piece of advice to be, can you, can you give us, can you give the listeners your, your wisdom? I mean, yeah, for sure. I guess the, the thing that that is, is just get started, whatever that is, no matter how big or how small, the little change will turn into a big change over time. So it's not, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to start bench pressing 300 pounds. It's I'm going to start hitting the gym. doesn't matter what you do in there. Just start hitting the gym. If you want to start a business, 
start a business, draw the line in the sand. This is what I'm going to do. This is how much time I'm going to set into it every night. You know, like I've got reminders like that on my phone for everything, like the, the pandemic. Um, I was smashing family lasagnas, right? These 12 personal lasagnas. I was fat and I was sweaty and I was all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to change. So I, I, I hopped on a diet. I got Nutrisystem, right? Lost 50 pounds. And I, I started reading a book every night or not an entire book. I started reading for an hour every night. Those little incremental changes, just doing something yeah. will change your life. It's just a, it's a small pebble in the pond will make the biggest waves. That's awesome. That's great advice. Yeah. I, I second everything you said, but I think that's probably a good place to end because we've taken up a lot of your time, but we, we love no, your story. Appreciate no. We appreciate you coming on. So great uh, meeting you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I, I was just, I got to say, I was enthralled. I, I love what you said. I, I was kind of quiet this episode, but I, I was listening intently. I, I love everything you said. I mean, I, I know I've said that before, but yeah, great story. Um, I know you're going to inspire a bunch of people that are listening to this. Cause I know a lot of people are, are in your shoes um, and they have a similar situation. So, you know, for, for Ben and I and all of our listeners, and I really thank you for, for telling your story. So um, thank, yeah, you. thank you. Thank you for being so open. Yeah. Um, just being open. Cause I think, you know, I, we'd all love to have a podcast. I think that just is always just this, you know what, here's steps one, two, and three to have a great business. And, you know, and, and the stories that we continue to hear, uh, and, and your openness. I mean, I, I would, I would bet that there's probably more listeners that can relate to your, to your, struggles with alcohol that are trying to start a business. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, and so thank you for being open and um, congratulations again, congratulations on seven years of, of uh, sobriety. So it's been, it's been a great ride and, you know, like any opportunity to help someone, you know, like I love being there so people can reach out or whatever. Yeah. Before we go, um, just real quick, just let everyone know where they can find you, your company, uh, any other yeah. social media you want to share. And we'll, uh, we'll post links and stuff up on our uh, sites too. But uh, totally. let everyone know where they can find you. Um, yeah, the links are going to help because the spelling is funny, but my business is called Eclipsed. It's E-C-L-P-S-T and it's eclipsed.com for the website. You can find us on the, the grams, all the socials at Eclipsed. Okay. Uh, I think we got it pretty much well blanketed. Um, and you know, drop us a line, DM message, whatever. Um, you can usually find me at Caressel on anything. Um, and yeah, I'm always open. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty much an open book anymore because I think it helps. It helps people, um, when they can connect, you know, that's why I'm so open. It's not to get all my, my dirty laundry out there, but it's, I don't know, man, you share a little bit and someone can connect. It can be a life changer. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, on that note, I'm going to sign off for, uh, for Ben. This is uh, Brian signing off for the uh, Nothing Owed podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this one, and we will uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye, everybody.